second. Yeah, 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 I'm coming. Hold on. Ron? What are you doing here? There's something I need to tell you. Are we alone? Quick, grab anything you can. We gotta go. Is there a back door? They're coming. They're coming. Oh god, they're here. Go. Damn this wicked planet. Welcome to the Wicked Planet Podcast, episode number lucky 113. We are coming at you once again from the haunted garage, an undisclosed location known to nobody but myself and Ron from the vast, misty hills, rolling tides, forests, mountains, lakes, stream, rivers, and extensive wildlife. Tonight, we talk about the most important things you've ever heard about in your entire life. But before we get to all of that, you know him as Ron from New England. Others know him as the One Bald Billy. Some as the alien space train conductor. But his friends and family know him best. Choo-choo. As the long-lost twat nibbler of the Northern Wood. Ron? What's going on? So it's of the northern wood now, not of the north. I just decided to switch it up. You it know, wasn't you, quite as dramatic. You can't do the same thing every time. Yeah, no, it was good. Hey, I just want to, before we, before we forget, I just want to... creativity. I just want to uh, You're wish coming you out. a happy... Pride season coming up starting oh, thank tomorrow. You. Yeah, I just busted out the chaps, the uh, the assless chaps. I yeah. got my uh, my police hat ready to go and my baby oil. I'm stocking up. I'm a little. I was a little low because I used so much last season that I just you know was squirting it everywhere, lubing things up here and there. <laughs> grab you know just I, I was low, so I have to go get more. But didn't you say you had a problem squirting everywhere anyway? Yeah. I'm like a, uh, you know. Well, at least now you can go to Kohl's <laughs> and get infant onesies. That yeah. are gay? Yeah, well, you know, for the for the infants that know that they're, you know, non-binary. That they're non-binary. Yeah, yeah. so it's like Target and <clears throat> Bud Light and, oh, North Face now. Yeah. You know, North Face, uh, what's the other one? Nike. It's all these giant corporations. Big surprise. <laughs> well, you know, I was reading something about that, and it's and it's all based on this ESG score. Yeah, from corporations, right? Yeah, right. You know what? It, yeah, there's a there's two other ones. Uh, the it's like it's similar to the ESG, 
what uh, I don't was there's a reporter or a score that corporations use to see how like it's to secure loans, isn't it? Oh, is that what it is? It's something about securing money. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know there was a couple other similar to the ESG that work through corporations and you know, a lot of that stuff has, I'm not exactly sure, but it ties into these like social trends that they push. Right. Yeah. And I I think, yeah. Well, you have ESG and I thought there was one other one. I believe there's two other. Yeah. But like when we're talking about this stuff, I mean, like we talk about North face, Bud Light, obviously fucking uh, Nike target. Disney's now woke and gay. Uh, the NFL's woke and gay. You know, all this shit is woke and gay or whatever. Um, I mean, a lot of it to me kind of seems like it's like trying to destroy the identity. Do you know what I mean? Okay, so it's called the CEI. Yeah. And it is. Is that Dylan Mulvaney? Yeah. They got a picture of him. <clears throat> oh, my God. Right there. Okay, so it's called the Corporate equality index that's a nice purse which is overseen by human rights campaign the largest lgbtq plus squared to the 14th power what political lobbying group in the world so it's a political lobbying group right hrc which has received millions from george soros no surprise there cha-ching the open society foundation Issues report cards for America's biggest corporations via the CEI. Yeah. Awarding or subtracting points for how well companies adhere to what HRC calls its rating criteria. Which is messed up. I mean, for me, it's like when we talk about cultural Marxism, this to me, a lot of the stuff that gets pushed down through the corporations, it's like a... It's like a communist insurgency, essentially, because it's not really what people want, but it's like what it seems to be. It it seemingly is culture, but it's really being forced through corporations from the top down, which in the long run we know is the elite that own all of this shit. So it's like, in a way, I feel like it's just being pushed through all these corporations, and now every corporation's like gay or whatever. It's being pushed through these corporations to essentially just try to destroy people's identities. You know, uh, what I find very interesting about it is that I was reading somewhere where the CEO, the current CEO of Target, was pushing back against this whole thing that, you know, Target's been taking heat for, obviously losing money. And... The board was saying, well, if you don't go along with it, we can get rid of you and find a new CEO that will. Yeah. You know, this is Buckley. It is a type of social credit score. It's for the a, corporations. For the corporations, yeah. yeah. So they have, a, I was just trying to find out what this company HRC is. Oh, it's the human rights campaign. Okay, so that settles that. But check this out. They have what they call the call it the woke rating advocacy group advocacy group human rights campaign introduced the 100 point corporate equality index to score companies on their inclusiveness woof and i know i was reading somewheres where it had to do with 
Just like if you have a low social credit score, just like on the Black Mirror episode, you can't get this, you can't get that, you're basically shunned, right? Like they do that in the corporate system. Right. So so when these corporations say the parent company of Target or Kohl's or whatever goes to borrow money, they're going to say, yeah, well... Your uh, credit score... Your CEI is, uh, is uh, not low. really up to par, so... You got to start selling trans clothing for infants. You didn't sell enough rainbow flags this month. Well, check this out. Here so now is, you can't use the executive bathroom. You have to use the Porter John around the back. And the one that hasn't been cleaned in about three weeks <laughs> and it's been hot out. Okay, so here's uh, five categories. <clears throat> Number one, workforce protections. Mm. Five points are possible. No discrimination for employment for sexual orientation or gender identity. I don't really see a problem with that. Well, that doesn't, that, I mean, yeah. That's, yeah. Okay, who cares? Uh, number two, inclusive benefits, 50 points possible. Criteria here includes providing health care for sex-sex couples. What the fuck does that mean? Like male-male? Shouldn't male, that have said same-sex couples? What is this site, Ron? What is this site? Where are you this getting is this the information? This is the New York Post. New oh. York Post. Uh, number three, supporting an inclusive culture, 25 points possible, including gender-neutral dress codes and trans-inclusive restroom facilities policy. Okay. Which means if you're a man identifying as a woman, you get to use the woman's bathroom. Well... Maybe it means like they just have to have a bathroom for trans people. Wouldn't that make more sense how they have the separate bathroom? They call it the family bathroom. Right. Where you can go in. And I know most bathrooms have changing stations in them for babies. But this one would have a changing station for babies so that they could try on the infant onesies, the rainbow ones. Yeah. And they're, yeah. They're, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So the gender neutral dress code is kind of weird. Like, what does that mean? You just. You can't dress like you can't wear skirts if you're a woman or no, the gender neutral dress code means you can dress any way you want. Oh. If if you're a woman identifying as a man, then you can dress like a man. If you're a man identifying as a woman and you can dress like a woman. That's how I interpret that. I mean, I guess that's fine. Yeah. Uh, number four, corporate social responsibility. 20 points possible. Marketing or advertising to LGBTQ squared customers. Hmm. Which would include Nike and Bud Light's use of transgender spokesperson Dylan Mulvaney. <laughs> so your CEI score might be really high, but your profits are going to tank. So where do the people running these corporations draw this fine line? How can they make everybody happy? So let's look at the last one, number five, responsible citizenship. And this says negative 25 points deducted if a company gives money to organizations whose primary mission includes advocacy against the LGBTQ plus squared equality, which is not defined but could include Christian groups. 
yeah, Again, see, that's like, attack on religion. Well, dude, because I was watching something and it was like the remember the trans shooter who like uh, shot up like the trans school or whatever. And that's how the story got just disappeared. Yeah. And but also like there was all this like, oh, we need to like uh, we need to like help the trans community more. And isn't it such a sad thing that trans kid went and shot up the school? But it's like, well, where there was no advocacy for like the Christian groups do you mm. know what i mean like oh, yeah. how well how can we help them as well it was all trans 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 i mean this mm. is like this is what that kind of reminds me of it's just i think it's very mm. weird that it's like it's so targeted towards the trans community it's forcing it down your throat yeah so it's like you have it's like you have to you know if people want to it's like you have to partake, but if people want to, like, I don't see the big deal. Like, why can't a man go into a store and then shop for women's clothing if that's what they want to do, right? right? It doesn't necessarily mean you have to start marketing this type of shit to children. Right. Do you know what I mean? But this is exactly what they're doing. Right. All right, let's just read this one paragraph. The main categories are workforce protections, inclusive benefits, supporting an inclusive culture, corporate social responsibility, and responsible citizenship. A company can lose CEI points if it doesn't fulfill HRC's demand for integration of intersectionality in professional development, skills-based or other training, or if it doesn't use a supplier diversity program with demonstrated effort to include certified LGBTQ plus squared suppliers, which means you're going to have companies that are set up. They're going to have to go through a certification verification process to even be considered a supplier for stores like Target, Kohl's, North Face, et cetera, right? Right. Nike, right? James Lindsay, a political podcaster who runs a site called New Discourses. I've heard of him. Told The Post that the human rights campaign administers the CEI ranking like an extortion racket like the mafia. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like an incentive program to get on board with the L- pushing the LGB. But you have no wh- choice. Whatever. But yeah, you don't really have a choice. So that's, yeah. I mean, to me, that's weird. I obviously feel like, yeah trans people do need a place in society and they need like that. We can't just like, you know, outcast them. They need to be included in places. I feel like, um, but it's weird that you're like forcing it down people's throat and you're like having an incentive program and you're marketing people, uh, all this shit towards like children and stuff. And like, especially cause it's coming through the corporation, Corporate side of things, and most of the time, the woke left or whatever liberal side—that's strict, mostly where it's coming from. Where, and when it's coming from places like that, to me, it's like okay, this is clearly coming from the top down, which is in many sense the elites. Which we know they're trying. There's like sort of this cultural Marxism, uh, communist insurgency, as well as like this whole movement to destroy identities and you see that happening in the lgbt community you see that happening with kids you see that happening in with in schools you see that like everywhere this huge huge push even with the patriotism the like the push to try and kind of get rid of uh 
you know, history in our country. And or make, flying the American flag. And flying the American flag and thinking that nationalism is a bad thing as well. It's like that, it's trying to destroy the identity of your country because patriotism, you know, in my opinion, isn't necessarily a bad thing. As long, obviously, there's extremists, right? And, every, and, every, and there's always going to be people that take it too far. 100%. But in, in layman's terms, it's not a bad thing as well as nationalism, in my opinion, because that just means you kind of like you're you're advocating for your country to be successful in your country first over like where you see USA shitting a bunch of money out to Ukraine. Like that's right. not nationalism. Nationalism would be like taking that money and, and reinvesting it into our country. Into to make your it veterans. Better. Right. But oftentimes people associate what do they associate nationalism with. White supremacy. White supremacy. What's white supremacy? Nazis. What's Nazis? What they do? They did the Holocaust. Holocaust is bad. Don't don't be a nationalist. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of this shit ties into the identity destruction, and that is going across the board in many directions. That also includes the border crisis too, a little bit. I mean, a lot of it. I think because in my opinion, the yeah, the Great Reset, like we talk about all the fucking time. I feel like they're really just trying to make well one they're trying to make the two class system right where it's poor and rich and there's the middle class is done and a way that they're doing this is they're allowing when I say they I mean the elites and the everyone that falls under their order so they're flooding the the border in the US with immigrants basically poor people impoverished people to make it to make America in the long term more like uh, a chaotic third world country. Well, that's that's designed to overwhelm your systems, which is part of Saul Alinsky's. Uh, oh, what was that called? We did a show on that rules for radicals and how to destabilize a democracy or a republic. But check this out. This goes on to say it doesn't just sit back passively either. HRC sends representatives to corporations every year telling them what kind of stuff they have to make visible at the company. They give them a list of demands, and if they don't follow through, there's a threat that you won't keep your CEI score. Okay, that is fucking extortion. Yeah. It's just like it's the top down, too, which is annoying. Yeah, but do you see this, Buckley, what this could do, though? Say you have a mom-and-pop apparel company. Yeah. And you have a lot of people nowadays, they got side gigs. They're selling T-shirts. They're selling, you know, whatever, right? Hats. They would not be able to stand up to these HRC people if they walked in your door and said, this is what you're going to do, this is what you're going to do, and if you don't do it, we're going to bog you down in litigation, we're going to cancel you, we're going to do this whole campaign online with the use of all their fucking bots on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and we're basically going to destroy you. So if you want to keep your company going, you will adhere to the HRC standards and have a and have a viable CEI score. Sounds Don't you like, see where this is going? Found, sounds very mafioso to me. This is you know yeah, I mean? it, well, like, yeah, like crime syndicate. It's like we can control your store if you don't get this like these points. You know what I mean? And, and market what we want you to market. Oh yeah. So okay. So how the protection racket works, and everybody should know this. Vito and Dominic they go into the mom and pop donut shop they look around and they say hey listen uh we see you have a lot of stuff here you got a lot of equipment you got a lot of glass out front you know it's kind of a bad neighborhood i'll tell you what we can do 
Now, this is, we're going to help you supplement your insurance. So what you're going to do, you're going to pay us a thousand bucks a week and, and we will make sure that nothing happens here. And if it does happen here, we will hunt them down and we will make them pay financially and we will make them pay physically. Mm. So mom and pop donut shop owner says, no, I'm not doing that. So they asked them again. Are you sure you don't want this supplemental You're gonna have insurance. problems if you don't. And they go, No, get the fuck out of here. We don't want we're not buying it. We're not that kind of people. <laughs> Two nights later, what happens? The window. A brick the windows, goes through the window. Well, they do it subtly first. They do little things. Slash the tires. They they smash the windows. If you have a delivery vehicle, they'll fucking destroy that or steal it or light it on fire. Pee in the register. They'll go inside, they'll totally trash the place poop on the and then desk. and then about a week later they'll go back and they'll go oh my god what happened someone pooped on your desk so then the mom and pop shop owner are like man we should have did that okay what's it going to cost we don't want to go through this well, now again. it's 1500 a week yeah yeah there was a rate there was a uh, we re- reviewed the policies in the neighborhood and uh we have to go up on the on the uh premiums yeah dude that's exactly how it works and that's what this fucking deal right here is yeah. They are extorting fucking companies, forcing them to follow the transgender agenda to even be in business or you will get canceled. This is the shit that, again, we are not getting down on the trans community. We are not getting down gays, lesbians, nothing like that. This is a fucking corporate. Actually, it's not even a corporate takeover. It is some... Human rights insurgency, some human rights campaign that is bankrolled by George Soros, who has said it is his goal to bring down the United States. He has said that right along. And this is how they're fucking doing it. Not only are they doing it by applying Sololinsky's rules for radicals, they are applying it fucking through the CEI score. And the corporate systems, too, which, I mean, it's this isn't the only way they're doing it. I mean, obviously, you know, we sit here and we say, like, yeah, and people are, like, forced to do this shit, but people are, there's a lot of people doing this shit just because they think it's what they're like, supposed to do, or they're conditioned to just do it. Or they think this is what their customers want, but here's where... Well, they're just conditioned to do that. I mean, through, like, the corporate world, as well as, like, the collegiate world and the education system. Like, we know hands down, that those institutions were set up so that later you would have compliant adults. And so when people go into these to work at Target or to work at North Face or whatever, these companies, and they're and they're seeing the numbers like, oh, I can get 50 points. We can get 50 points as a company if we do this. Let's fucking do it. Yeah. And they just think they're like, they're, they think they're doing a good job because they've been conditioned to believe so. In real terms, they don't really know that they're trying to fucking destroy everything. You know, it's the same scam as your credit score is. <laughs> What's that? What's a credit score? It's it's a fucking <laughs> scam. Remember when they brought down that big that big uh, credit company, uh, credit reporting company over in England, and I forget which one it was. And they found out that they were manipulating people's credit scores because what does Credit Karma tell you all the time? And I admit it, I have a Credit Karma account, right? It's fucking lower. But what, is it, but what does it tell you? Oh, you're eligible for another card. This might help your credit score. Mm. 
Hey, I've been working on my credit score for fucking years. It goes up 50, drops 100, goes up 25, goes up another 75, drops 100. It's a fucking scam, right? So this report goes on to say, the CEI is a lesser known part of the burgeoning ESG, which is what we brought up before, the environmental, social, and corporate governance, ethical investing movement. Increasingly pushed by the country's top three investment firms, and you know what's coming. ESG funds invest in companies that oppose fossil fuels, push for unionization, and stress racial and gender equity over merit in hiring and board selection. Oh, is that a picture of fucking BlackRock down there? Okay, we were getting there. Ah. As a result, some American CEOs are more concerned about pleasing BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. Ding, 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 ding. Who are among the top shareholders of the most American publicly traded corporations, including Nike, Anheuser-Busch, and Kate Spade. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a red flag. I repeat, this is a red flag. Which Dylan Mulvaney now has a contract with Kate Spade. They're more concerned with pleasing BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street than they are about irritating conservatives, and numerous sources told the Post this, so they did a lot of research. It says, this week, Mulvaney's new ad campaigns with Bud Light and Nike ruffled the feathers of critics from country star Travis Tritt to Kid Rock. Now, this report's a little older, but... Kid Rock? Yeah. So, you know what? You know, it's just, I mean, this is what, like, this is what, obviously, I mean, I, I knew BlackRock and Vanguard are at the top of this. Um, but this is what should tie it together for everybody that might not really know how the whole pyramid scheme of sister companies owning all the corporations, yada, 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 basically are controlled by BlackRock and Vanguard. They are the big ones that control basically all the assets in the world. They everything. Tr- yeah, everything. Tr- trillions and trillions of fucking dollars. And so when you finally realize this and figure this out, and then you wonder what, why ideologies, stuff like COVID policies uh, catch on around the world globally, as well as in the United States, like you can kind of, they always say, follow the money, right? Right. And where's the money going to or coming from? Uh, BlackRock, Vanguard, and these wealthy elites like George Soros, uh, Schwab, and, you know, fuck ton of others. Um, So, yeah. If you're going to really look at something and to try to internalize and uh, gain aspect of how the control works. Look at BlackRock and Vanguard because you know they own Target, they own Fox, they own Nike, they own Adidas, they own all this shit. They most likely, I haven't looked into this myself, but they most likely have stakes in social medias, um, you know, supply chains. A whole ton of shit. So when you look at that, you really can start to see the control. You know, Buckley, (laughs) this is how they bring down a country without firing a shot, right? Oh, yeah. We see how they're doing it. Uh, And we don't mean to beat a dead horse because we promise this has a direction. We're going in a certain direction tonight. But they overwhelm your social service systems by allowing what a million or more immigrants to come across the border they're paying to house them in very nice hotels 
They're giving them health care. Phones. They're giving them phones. They're giving them anything that they need, and they're giving them a court date to appear, and those court dates are booked out for, I think, two years at the earliest. <laughs> what do you think the odds are that these people are actually going to show up at these fucking court dates? They're not, because they're planning on bringing down the whole system before that. And here's the other thing. If they're going to bring the system down, they got to do it in the next year. Now, what have we been hearing? What have we been hearing? Right? We just had this this vote, I think, today about the debt ceiling. Mm. Kevin McCarthy is giving into it, uh, made a deal, whatever. IRS is going to keep all their fucking agents. Oh, I think maybe I cut a couple of thousand agents. Listen, them fuckers are coming after you and me and every other hardworking person for every fucking dollar they can squeeze out of you because now what is the national debt going to 40 trillion and how do you think they are going to and, and let's face it they are never ever going to fucking bring the bring the budget under balance it's never going to happen it's not designed to work that way but they're going to fucking squeeze us for every fucking nickel they can possibly get because we need it for social programs. We need it to send to Ukraine. We need it to pay for all these illegal immigrants who, by the way, say if only half of them get amnesty, they're going to figure out a way to make it so they can vote. Mm. And if you were an immigrant that came into this country and the Democrats were in power and they were giving you everything you needed to live on so you could just fucking sit on your ass and deal fentanyl? Woof. Who would you vote for? Fucking Trump. No, you would vote for a, de- <laughs> you would vote for a Democrat is what you would do. The thing with the debt, though, Ron, it's like that shit to me. It's like they're always like, oh, $40 trillion. The debt keeps going up, blah, blah, blah. Uh, insane. It's like the same thing with the credit scores. It's all just like fucking fake numbers that they seem to the elites, when I say they, uh, they seem to just control. So it's almost like whenever I feel like when they see that society might be doing well, then they're like, okay, now we just have to raise gas or we have to raise essentially gas because everything runs on gas essentially. So they could just raise that. And then it just pushes like everybody into financial strain just enough where they can't get ahead and they're still living paycheck to paycheck or maybe they have a couple hundred dollars saved in the bank but you know essentially it's like they can control how the uh, economy works very easily so it doesn't really the i feel like the debt and the the credit scores and all that shit is just kind of like it's just to put pressure on the individual consumer to make them constantly feel stress or fear or anxiety about their money. And who is the one that does the majority of consuming in this country? Me. The middle class. Yeah. Right? Which we know they're trying to get rid of. So if you look at it, here's what they're going to do. You're absolutely correct on the fuel prices, right? They put up fuel prices, right? They destroy destroy domestic gas and oil, right? So, So there you go. That automatically puts the fuel prices up. Everybody knows that. Then they destroy fucking 30% of the food production that's going on in the country as far as like food processing plants. And then they have this whole like never last week because this episode's kind of a continuation of last week. 
Remember last week we talked about all that ammonium nitrate fertilizer that went missing? Okay, that's ammonium nitrate that isn't going to end up on fields to help crops grow because they have destroyed the fucking soil for so long. And who the fuck knows what they're spraying in the air, (laughs) what that is doing to the soil, right? So now crop yields are going to be less, which is going to affect the price of food, supply, and demand, Mm -hmm. right? So they overwhelm the country with another million people that need to fucking eat because, you know, whatever you think of these immigrants, right, they need to eat too. I mean, really. And my question is, if they, if they, oh, and, and then they, they go through this. You know how they say, like, we're in this 2008 housing situation mm. again, right? In 2008, all the property values were overflated so much. And then it just crashed, right? Well, that's what's happening right now. I mean, you should see the offers I get from my house. It's fucking insane, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, if I had a place to go in another house, I would consider that, right? But I ain't going anywhere. You cannot replace what I have for any amount of fucking money unless it's fucking $2 million. But they inflate the value on your property. So when you're... Property is evaluated at a higher dollar amount. Well, what do you think that does? It raises your property tax. So when you're thinking, oh, my God, now my house is worth a half a million dollars. Oh, yeah, well, the town clerk knows that now. And now, instead of paying taxes on, say, two hundred and seventy-five or 300000 which is what I used to pay on, now you're going to be paying taxes on 500,000 and they're going to run it through to you can't afford it anymore. And then they take your fucking property. So this whole fucking deal they got going on. Yeah. is controlled by these human rights campaigns and the CEI index and the ESG. What is it going to take for Americans to fucking get together and say, we're not going to do this. Listen, When Obama first got elected president, I had a customer, kind of acquaintance of mine, biker guy. He had come up for inspection or whatever. I'm sitting in my office. He comes in. It was right after Obama won, like right after. He's like, well, we just lost our country. (laughs) It's already lost, brother. And I'm looking at him, you know, back then. I mean, I didn't vote for Obama the first time, but for full disclosure, I did vote for him the second time because I was fucking bamboozled just like everybody else, right? And I looked at him, I said, come on, you fucking, why, because he's black? Yes. And he's like, yeah, that effing N-word or whatever. I mean, this guy's like pretty racist, pretty hardcore, yeah. And uh, he's like, yeah, we lost our country. This is going to go right downhill from there. And now, and back then I was like, totally, I'm like, dude, fucking shut the fuck up. <laughs> now I look back and he is absolutely right. Yeah. Because ever since Obama took office, that's when all this shit started to go into turbo mode because Bill Clinton already started it, him and Hillary. Mm. And who's close to George Soros? Bill Clinton and Hillary. The gang's back together. So, So now you're talking about George Soros who fucking turned Jews in so that the he was a fucking Nazi collaborator. Any funder of BLM. Like, he should, right, in Antifa? like And Antifa. Somebody should have whacked that guy a long time ago. 
But point is, they put all these pieces into play while everybody's just watching fucking Netflix, man, not even paying attention to what the fuck is going on. George Carlin said it right. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? That's why they have all that shit. They don't want critical thinkers. They want people that are smart enough, just smart enough to run the machines, do the paperwork, and get the job done. But they don't want you to fucking critically think for yourself, do things for yourself, and tell everybody else to go fuck themselves. And then, of course, the famous line, it's a big club, and you ain't in it. And he's absolutely right. He talks about how education is fucked up, and we're going to go really deep on education real soon. And he is absolutely right. They're pushing this fucking agenda in schools, the school boards, the National Association of Teachers, or what is it, the NEA, National Education Association, whatever it is. They're doing this whole fucking CEI thing too. So they're pushing it in schools. They're indoctrinating your kids. They're having the drag queens come in. They got books in the <laughs> library showing two boys sucking each other off. Whoa, and whoa, they, Well, whoa, it is what it why? is. And, and then if you go to complain about it, they this sit the fucking... family show. Yeah, they sit the fucking FBI on you. And we know the FBI is compromised because they won't fucking investigate Hunter Biden, who should have been fucking arrested for high treason, along with his father and the rest of the fucking family. We've lost him. Right? Ladies and gentlemen. I'm going on it. I'm going on it. Alex Jones. I'm his. I got colonial. Ryan from New England coming to you from Austin, Texas. Pedophiles. I tried to colonialists. They're taking over. All right, I'll stay calm. Ron, take a deep breath. But I still say this whole agenda is we are going to be replaced. Something's going to happen to us. The robots are coming. We already see all the in quotations, air quotes, Chris Farley style, died suddenlies. People dropping like flies. I probably know 20 people, no joke, that have passed away in the last six to nine months, right? There's a shit ton of people dying. Yeah. I mean, people I know, dude. Yeah. Or people I know that, oh, man, he's just come down with this weird cancer. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, a friend of mine came up today for an inspection. I asked her how her uh, how her husband was because, you know, I know him. He's been a customer a long time. And I know he's been sick. Well, you know... They're saying, uh, they don't know, he's, his heart rate, his heart is down to 30%. Ooh. And he has to go in for a stress test, and they're thinking, he and he has this weird thing with his vision. And they're like, they think he might have a blood clot somewhere. I said, did he take the jab? Oh, yeah, he took the Pfizer. We, Pfizer, we both did. I'm oh, like, Jesus. okay, so no fucking correlation there whatsoever, because I've known this guy for 30 fucking years, and he only got sick and during COVID. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? It's just all this fucking shit is adding up. They want to get fucking rid of us. But they can't. They want to replace us with the immigrants that are coming across the border. They want to eliminate church. They want to. They just said in this, uh, this report that if you are a corporation and you invest in any type of Christian group, then you're out. That You're losing points. Mm. That's going to put your credit score down, right? So what is that? We already know there's a war on religion. Just like Kristen said last week, you can buy trans fucking baby clothes, but you can't buy a clothes that says Jesus saves. Yeah. Right? Right? Which I know a lot of corporations, they don't do that because they don't want to get anybody upset. But I mean, we're predominantly a Christian nation, right? It's just all these fucking pieces are coming together. And it reminds me that we're going into another, and what have we heard? The Great Reset. We know that we're going to be going into some form of depopulation per the Deagle report that we talked about last week. 
even though they backtracked, but all, it needs, all they need to do is some rich fucker like George Soros saying, oh, you're going to change that, or you're going to lose all your government contracts. You're going to say that's not true. We don't want people to, you know, be, pre- out. be prepared and to freak out, right? We don't want people to rise up and fight against this stuff. We want people to be fucking docile. Drink your fluoride water. Breathe the fucking chemtrails. Go on your cell phone with your 5G and become a fucking zombie. Eat your McDonald's. We don't shut want up. we don't want people standing up. Same, Watch OBX, eat your fucking Big Mac and shut up. Same thing with January 6th. Even if you just fucking showed up there, they're trying to fucking throw you in prison. They don't want anybody fucking standing up to them. But you know what? We're still outnumber them. Oh hell yeah! And people need to start doing that, you know. And I know, and and well, I kind of did mean to go on a little rant, but it, it is what it is. Though the thing about inclusivity too, it's like annoying because they preach it nonstop. The lefts, the woes. yeah, but it's one way inclusivity. Yeah, and like we were saying with the whole Jesus thing, it's like like Jesus shirts or whatever being sold at Target. Well, if you're gonna preach inclusivity, then you got to have it on both ways. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. like. The same thing as, like, for white, like, there's a whole thing on white people. Like, oh, we're white privilege, toxic masculinity, white males, fucking blah, blah, blah. It's like. The war on masculinity. The war on masculinity. Why don't, why don't we have a white, a white power month? You know, a lot of this, a lo- <laughs> you know, so a lot, so I'm doing some reading, you know, about the food pyramid and the food we eat, the oils that they want you to buy, the cooking oils, you know, all the, oils. all the seed oils. It's all designed to lower the man's testosterone. What did we see about five years ago? It was on every commercial. If you have low T, use this deodorant. Oh, shit, that deodorant's giving people cancer. Yeah. Don't do that. So, so you know, you get all these older guys. I mean, I'm an old guy. I mean, I don't know what my testosterone level is. I do know that all my parts still work, so that's good. Mm. But I'm a toxic fucking male anyway. So, and I think you are to a degree also, but it's like, <laughs> what, what do we mean by toxic male? Whatever their fucking bullshit definition is. What, what is so, the definition of a toxic male? Can you look it up? Uh, sure. We can do that real quick. So, but I mean, do you see, do you see where all this is going? Me? Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. And I don't know. I think obviously other people are catching on but you're just still you're gonna have people that just go along with it and don't actually think about anything which is kind of fucked because i think if they really realized how uh, against i i think if the people who are advocating for these ideologies really began to learn how much the elites and the government's pushing this stuff and the corporations pushing this stuff don't give a Flying fuck about them, they'd maybe start whistling a different tune because they don't give a shit about them. They don't care if they're dead in a day. They don't care if they're like anything. They don't care if they're mutilated. They don't care if their kids are mutilated with like these trans uh, like surgeries and shit. So it's just kind of like. What about the video of the mom that went into Target and she had a fucking absolute meltdown? Because, like, her five-year-old was, oh, mommy, they don't have clothes for me anymore. <laughs> and she was all, uh, the fucking, the mom was all upset because they didn't have any, they moved the trans clothing from right in front of your fucking face to the back row. I guess she was all upset about that, you know. Okay, so, toxic masculinity is defined as 
a set of attitudes and ways of behaving stereotypically associated with or expected of men, regarded as having a negative impact on men and on society as a whole. The destructive messages associated with toxic masculinity can lead to men feeling entitled to engage in violence against women. Okay? That is the biggest fucking horseshit. And, and you know what? They just fucking made this up and stuck it in all the dictionaries. You know why? This is why you can't buy a fucking dictionary off the shelf anymore. Because the definition of everything changes every day to whatever fits into that motherfucker's agenda. What what search are you using? It's fucking bingaling. Bingaling and ding dong. All right. Well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Um, but I, what I was going to say was like, I, th- I feel like once people really, if they actually were to really realize how just how much they just don't give a fuck about people as a whole. Those people that supported these ideologies would probably start to maybe be like, wait, what the fuck is actually going on? You know what I mean? Okay. So now this is a different, this is from the Cambridge dictionary, Ooh, which is out of England, obviously comparison, toxic masculinity ideas about the way that men should behave that are seen as harmful. For example, the idea that men should not cry or admit weakness. The idea that men are just naturally violent is a manifestation of toxic masculinity. Mm. Here's a few other examples. Toxic masculinity says that things like poetry or flowers are for girls and women. And that is a shameful for men to like them. <laughs> Over the past several years, toxic masculinity has become a catch-all explanation for male violence and sexism. The ad is certainly not against men. It's against toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity defines manhood very very narrowly in terms of violence, sex, status, and aggression. Back to my point. They put this shit... They have changed the whole fucking global lexicon as far as the English language is concerned. Yeah. If you look at a dictionary, and I've got a really super old dictionary from like the 30s. This word's nowhere. If you, no, wouldn't be. This term would not be. And since when are terms in a fucking dictionary? So now if you look up certain words from the old dictionary, you get one definition. If you look it up online on the newer version, totally different. I feel like this is like a newer term or words. Oh, it is basically from the woke shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just, I think what it really, that's is what I'm saying, to, Buckley, they yeah. add these fucking terms into dictionaries. Yeah. I mean, this is really, honestly, I think it's just putting forth this idea that, you know, if you're a man that in any way shows aggression or maybe, you know, stands up for themselves or maybe gets angry that, you shouldn't be like this or you there's something wrong with you. And, you know, maybe there are extreme cases where like men are abusive towards women and they, Oh, well this, okay. So this, but there's also, you know, the component of, you know, women doing shitty things to men just to get them to be. Oh yeah. No, no, listen, dude, that works both ways. I know. So like you can't be in a, a, uh, a hundred percent like say there's like a toxic relationship or a bad relationship right it can't always just be like the man's fault do you know what i mean like i'm sure there are cases where that is obviously 
But I mean, re- bad relationships. It's like it takes two to have that bad relationship. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. it's not always just the man's fault or the women's fault. It's usually a combination of both together, and True. then that can turn into like a domestic violence situation or the term toxic masculinity. But there's also this other kind of standard where it's like because this new toxic masculinity thing has been going on and there's like this whole cultural shift of, you know, women kind of needing or being pushed to act more like men in a way um, that now it's like if a woman says something to a man and then they either disagree or they're like, well, no, I'm not going to do that because they don't want to do it then that can be seen as like a toxic masculinity or like a microaggression towards women or something like that. Okay, so let's look back in history. What if William Wallace... William Wallace. ...was transgender? (laughs) What if William Wallace had low T? What if George Patton had low T? What if anybody that... Norman Schwarzkopf, what if he had low T... What if Hitler had low T? He probably did. He was fucking so jacked up on <laughs> drugs, it's not even funny. Uh, a lot of rumors, too, that he was a uh, homo, homosexual. Uh, Big old queer. They don't, that was never planned. That, that was never proven. Uh, the fact that Adolf Hitler did not want to know anybody that he had a girlfriend with Ava Braun. And, of course, he had a girlfriend that was actually his niece at one time. She committed suicide because he kept her locked up and under wraps. He did not want the people of Germany to think he had a greater love than Germany itself. Mm. Just a little sidebar. Okay, but what if all these men, this country was founded by strong masculine type men who stood up to the fucking tyranny of the British Empire and kicked their ass and we became America and we've been fucking kicking ass ever since. So we need to all... Somehow, and I feel as though we're kind of doing our part by Start talking about it on a steroid, show. Steroids and working out more. I discovered this one guy. He was uh, he has a podcast, and it's called the Chinese Insider. Is he a and, spy? And uh, and I was just listening to a show he was on. Uh, very interesting information. Now he he's not saying this, but I did see another post or some other video from another news agency. Where in China they're building super soldiers, they're actually jacking, oh, yeah. they're jacking the kids up on testosterone. Yeah, yeah, that's been a thing for a while. Yeah, but what I'm saying is they're building up their men. Here they're trying to turn all the men into fairies, and you know what it's fucking reduced people to. I'm going to talk about one post, and then we're going to move on. There was a post you've probably all seen it. It's been on all the social medias, Twitter especially, where these this. Man and a woman are on a subway, probably in New York City. This big black dude is fucking flipping out about something. And the wife said, dude, just take a chill pill. It's fine. And he walks up and he fucking clocks her and knocks her out. Her fucking man that she was with stood there, watched it, and didn't do a fucking thing. Now, I'm sorry. I might get my ass kicked, but I'm fucking going after that guy. You touch my fucking wife, we're fucking, it's on. You start blasting. Fucking stab him in the fucking neck. That's <laughs> Shank what I, him. dude. Shank him, bitch. dude. I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what. When we've had this conversation on the show before, anybody says anything off color or does anything around my wife, I'm fucking shit's going. Shit's happening. 
Your fucking tits are flying. Again, I might not win, but I am not going to look like a pussy in front of my wife. Tits are flying. And that's just not the fucking way tits I am wacky. anyways. It's like, okay, this ain't happening. Yeah. And that is not toxic masculinity. I mean, that's a man fucking standing up for his woman. And they have fucking reduced the population into thinking you can't do anything because if you do something, if you do something, you're going to get arrested, even though it's in defense. Like this fucking kid, this Neely kid on the subway, you know, the The Michael Jackson impersonator. Yeah. There was, he's got a rap sheet fucking five pages long. There's videos of him fucking starting fights with people. There's videos of him pushing people into the fucking train tracks. But he gets on a fucking subway in New York City, starts a bunch of shit, and his ex-Marine fucking restrains him, puts him in a chokehold, good for him, him. and the fucking kid ends up dying. Again, another fucking George Floyd situation, right? Say his name, Ron. George Floyd. Say his name. (laughs) I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Well, you know what? The, you know, I used to tell my brother when we used to wrestle, when he said, I can't breathe, I said, you're breathing because you're talking. So, anyways, point is, now people, it, it's so fucking skewed to one side now that people are afraid to fucking do anything. It goes down to the thing they call bystander syndrome. Yeah, well, I think right? there's, I think there's uh, like, to me, I don't know. Words is words, you know. Like, people talk shit all the time, and I get it. If somebody says something, I kind of wrestle in my mind. It's like, is it really that important if to get into a physical altercation over just words? Mm-mm. Do you know what I mean? So I guess, I mean, that's for you to kind of figure out. If there's, like, any sort of physical con contact on some, a friend or you or a loved one, then, yeah, if it's, like, extreme aggression where they're, like, screaming at a person, like, right in their face, like your significant other friend, then, oh, hell fucking yeah. But, I mean, if someone's just kind of being an idiot, I don't know. I think you kind of have to read certain situations. Obviously, if there's any sort of danger, you have to go ham tits and just start either punching or karate chopping or grabbing dicks and tits or whatever you have to do. I tell you what, if, if somebody shows fucking aggression in any way, it's on. Yeah. I and, mean, I, and I will fucking stab somebody right in the fucking neck. My kind of is <laughs> like, you can get as angry as you fucking want. If you fucking touch me, it's on, bitch. Hey, did I ever tell you the story about a good friend of mine? Actually, it's I was on. his best man at his wedding, and on his second wedding, I was his usher. Ooh. He was. He picked up this chick, and we all knew her. And she was broken up from her husband and had been separated for like a year, but her husband was fucking obsessed, right? Picks her up at the local bar. We used to hang out with a biker bar. It was called T-Birds. For anybody listening, (laughs) it might know what it was. And takes her back to a friend's house. And they're on the couch and they're just hanging out, probably, you know, smoking weed or doing fucking whatever. And her fucking old man, her ex-old man, was out just happened to be out looking for her and everybody said oh she took off with john they were over at so-and-so's house like thinking no big deal but she shouldn't have a fucking told this guy that guy was crazy was it a gay orgy so he goes to this fucking house he goes up on the porch he sees them together in the fucking living room Woof. smashes through the fucking plate glass window <laughs> jumps in the fucking house gets into a fight with my buddy john now listen i was friends with the other guy too 
Ooh. Yeah. So, uh, knew them all, right? It was part of, like, we had this big, huge circle of people that all partied together. But this guy was fucking office rocker, like, with jealousy. They get into a fucking fight. This fucking guy grabs a, a full beer can and is bashing the fuck out of my other buddy's head. My other buddy was a stabber. He always had a knife on him. No shit. Check this out. He fucking took his knife out. He reached around and he fucking stabbed him in the neck like four times. Fucking killed him. What? Killed him. Jesus. Calls me the next morning. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? Because it was really early. I thought it was kind of odd. He goes, I go, what's up? He goes, help me bury a body. Well, I'm getting ready. They're going to let me out. Um, I got arrested last night. I killed so-and-so. And I'm like. And I'm like thinking to myself, you fucking did what? Yeah, I killed so-and-so. I said, what the fuck? What happened? Jesus. Told me the whole story. You know what? Self-defense. They fucking let him go. That was the end of it. Well, I mean, that would make sense. Uh, If someone bashes through my window, I'm probably going to fucking kill him too. Like, what the fuck are you supposed to do? You don't even know what's going on. You're like, what the hell is going on? I'm just saying, I think this is all in tune to replacing us all. And they know if they, if there's 350 million people in this country and they're going to get rid of 70% of the population, they need somebody to replace us. Now, there was a phenomenon. Send in the robots, Ron. There was a phenomenon back in the 1800s and early 1900s called the orphan trains. Oh. And this is when they shipped in orphans from all over the East Coast, like New York City, Boston, all these allegedly fucking orphaned kids whose parents either didn't want them or couldn't afford them, or whatever. Get them ag- to work. Agree, agreed to agreed to give them to these people. This, you know, church societies mostly put them to work, right? And shipped them off to families out west that needed fucking help on yeah, farms. Put those little hands to work. They baby. were all that was indentured servant servitude. Yeah. Like these people were fucking on the hook until they were twenty one years old, yes. not eighteen. Twenty one. Why? If you're an orphan, you get three less years of freedom. I guess so. Is that how that works? But but I want to bring somebody on that knows a lot about this. It's not Davy Wavy, is it? So God. you stay tuned and we'll be right back. <laughs> so when I say I'm gonna bring the man on that knows all about this stuff. Of course, everybody knows who we're talking about. We're talking about our buddy, Matt T. from the Great Deception Podcast. I have no idea who that is. Matt, what's, what's up, happening? gentlemen? Who is that? How are you doing? Matt? Matt who? You Buckley. Can't, you can't see <laughs> Buckley. Dumb. You know me. You have a podcast? I think so. Where can we find it? You're, you don't have any association with that Ryan Dean guy, do you? Of course I do. That's oh my, my. That's one God. of my partners in crime. on the master debaters. You don't have any association with Davy Wavy, do you? Davy Wavy's been a guest before. No. Yes, oh, yeah. he's been a phantom for you guys, though. I hear um, Buckley. I, I already don't like how this is going. I'm never listening to your show again. <laughs> no, just joking. So actually, last time I was on Master Debaters, Davy was on that night with us. Nice. Yeah. So what's up? How, how are you? How have you been? Good man, been busy. I'm coaching my my son's on a couple baseball teams, so I'm coaching that. And you caught you guys got lucky. You caught me on a night off. Yes. This is my only night off of the week. So yeah, well, I no won't, place I'd rather be than the Wicked Planet. I won't take up much <laughs> of your time, Matt, because I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. You got a heavy duty baseball thing going on. 
Are you the head coach? Yes, sir. Have you had to make any strategic cuts and just like booted any kids off the team? Cause they're well, we had to make cuts for our summer team, but I had to take a kid off the field because he was, you know, he, he cried after he struck out and then he went out in the field and was just walking around. So I just pulled him off and <laughs> put him in timeout, you know? Yeah. You had to suspend him for two weeks and find him. No, like- we, can, we, it's, it, they're 10 years old. So, yeah, you know, you it doesn't him. go over yeah. too well with the parents when, uh, when you suspend them or find them at this age. Oh, come on. So where's all the fun? You know what it is, Matt? And I just want to say this before we get into talking about orphan trains. I think kids are under so much pressure from their parents to perform well when the parents need to understand that they're just little kids. They're gonna play they're gonna play baseball for four or five years. If they started out like if they're doing T ball, peewees, you know, and all that. Like I started out in peewees, then went to Little League, then went to Babe Ruth, right? But when you start out, you're only eight sometimes six or seven years old. Right, it takes a long time for these kids to get into the groove. Mm. Could be five or six years, and then maybe, you know, so the kids get really emotional because they don't want to upset their parents. And the parents need to understand uh, it's not a big deal. Well, when there's, I feel like when kids are super young, it's like you can't, you can't take any activity too, too seriously. Obviously, you want them to try different things out, see what they like. You want them to get children to learn discipline, hopefully, or like to stay with something, but also they're kids. So it's like, maybe that's not what their calling is. Maybe that's not what they're going to end up being good at. So like, if you put too much pressure on them, you know, who's to say how much damage that will have when they're older. I know a guy who I went to high school with who was straight a student was our, uh, uh, the, our valedictorian of our class was like varsity soccer, varsity this and that was like always, always going, going, had to be achieving, had to be achieving. And then somewhere after college, he did some drugs and completely, completely went the opposite way and just became a completely different person. So who's to say like, how much of that was his parents that were always pushing him? I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Well, that too. And once you go that opposite route, there's no structure anymore. Mm. A lot of people need structure, right? They need to have something to occupy their time because if they don't idle hands, you know, it's, it's the catch 22 of it. You don't want them to be too busy where they're overwhelmed. But at the same time, if they have no extracurricular activities, you're asking for trouble at that point because yeah, they're going to find true. it. Very true. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you can't just have kids doing whatever they want all the time, right? They have to be fucking doing something positive or constructive, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. And in some sort of art, right? Whether it's yeah. martial arts, whether it's music, whether it's sports, it's something that an activity for them that gets them out of their little bubble that they're in all day at school. Yep. And and allows them to to find their way. You know, that's the other thing. I we experiment with my son all the time, you know, whether it's martial arts or different sports or he wants to learn how to play the guitar. So we're going to get him guitar lessons. Cool. And, oh, nice. You know, just just different stuff like that. And hey, there's some stuff that he tries. I mean, he tried uh, karate. He liked it a little bit. But then he's like, ah, I don't really want to do it anymore. And I'm like, all right, let's go. We're done. That's it. it. We yeah. pulled the plug and moved on. And he might want to go back to that later, Matt. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. He picked up jujitsu instead. He well, wanted to try go. a different art. Yeah, so now go. he's in yeah. jujitsu and he's enjoying that for a time being. And hey, if he, after a couple of years, he decides he doesn't want to do it anymore, boom, 
Yeah. He can do whatever, you know, like you said, he may go back to karate. He may not, he may not want to do any of them anymore, but yeah, yeah. our well, thing is just, he has to do something. He's yeah. not just going to come home and, you know, be a couch potato and, and, you know, he's an active kid anyway. It's yeah. tough to get him to sit still for long enough. I bribed him tonight with, a, a you know, he could play video games with his friends for a little bit. Yeah. So, cool. yeah. <laughs> hey, think, you I know, think, uh, oh. Well, hold on. It's kind of like little G. Like little G is not inve- uh, in, uh, involved in any sports. She has no no like inclination to be in sports at all. But that kid can throw baskets like really good, right? But she doesn't want to play basketball, right? But she will come home. Like I know tonight it's really warm up here, right? And and she says, "Oh, I'm going to go for a swim when I get home." So she's probably doing that. And then usually when she's home. She's doing artwork. That kid is just an amazing artist. I mean, I don't, everybody says that about their kids, but she needs to find her way. I'm not going to force her to play basketball if she don't want to play basketball Mm. because it's counterproductive, you know, and she's doing chorus. So let's bring baseball back into it. They had a field trip today. They went to a Fisher Cats game and Fisher Cats is our, uh, what is it? Double A? I think it's double A baseball team uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire. And they're affiliated. They're, they're the farm team for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Like semi-pro, right? Yeah. So, so and uh, the chorus, because, you know, we joked about chorus last week. Uh, her chorus went there and the band, and they played the national anthem for the opening of the game. So I was pretty proud of her. That's cool. She yeah, didn't know cool. what the national anthem was called, which is kind of uh, We had that whole discussion last <laughs> night. But, <laughs> but anyway. I want to say that there's this quote that I like from um, the books of Dartha. I don't know it exactly, though, but it's it's something. I've said this before, but it's like something along the lines like, your kids aren't yours. And to me, it's kind of like, to me, that kind of means like, like they they are your kids obviously you want to guide them and help them along as best you can but you have to also realize that they're their own person and you don't specifically or necessarily own them and eventually they're going to grow up to be somebody that you can't really control at all what they want to do or who they want to be or what they want to become and you that's something that you kind of have to know I feel like at an uh, early age, I feel like um, you have to be more of a support system than anything. Right. You know, that's that's what I see. My role is 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 to make sure I'm responsible for him. But I'm I'm a support system. I don't make any decisions for him. Right. Yeah. I mean, other yeah. than when he's got to go to bed and stuff like that. But it, when it comes to choices, you have to put it on them and allow them to make some choices and, and make some wrong de- wrong decisions too. right. Too many parents, helicopter and. And plan everything for the kid, like you're, the guy you were talking about, Buckley, who was probably you know a pretty good student, great athlete, and then as soon as he got a little bit of freedom, he went boom, went wild. the total opposite direction. And that yeah. could have been a form of rebellion too, because that's the other thing. If if kids are really repressed by their parents, and trust me, I've seen it. <laughs> and, and as soon as they get that opportunity to rebel, boy, do they rebel. Oh yeah, yeah, big time. I just know that like. I, I don't know. Well, I think drugs can do that for some people. They kind of open up this whole other world or possibility or insight that like they didn't really know before. But I don't know. For me, it's like with my daughter, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but when she's kind of doing something sort of dangerous, like she could hurt herself. If it's really dangerous, obviously I'll like step in. But like if it's semi-dangerous, I'm kind of just like, okay, if you're going to do that, just make sure to be careful. 
Do you know? Yeah, they got to learn, right? There's consequences to your actions. Right. And, you know, like you said, you don't want her to to be playing with fire or, you know, touch the stove or anything. But at the same time, hey, she's got to fall down and learn that, listen, there's certain things you can't do because you're going to get hurt if you do it. Otherwise, they're screwed later on. And that's the problem we run into now. Too many people have never faced real consequences for their actions. Right. It's like they get, it's like, I feel like it's like learning. Well, they call a lot of time it's called like a natural consequence. Um, to to your actions, but like I feel like that whole kind of risk taking, uh, component <laughs> of life. If you're just like a parent that's always like you know so heavily helicoptering over your child, and like if they're gonna, about to do anything that's semi dangerous, and you stop them, it's like they're never gonna learn. They're also never gonna learn like what it it's like to fail. Like to say, take a risk, right? Take a yep. risk, and then to fail, and then reap the the negative reward, or say like. I think I talked about this last week. My daughter daughter likes to climb up the outside of the stairs of the banister. Um, I don't let her get really high, you know, obviously, but she'll go a couple stairs up. And I'm like, okay, be careful. And then she kind of, like, she could fall and hurt herself, or she could, you know, make the decision to turn around. But she can also achieve the goal of maybe she goes up to those five stairs, she learns how to do that, and then goes back down. Do you know what I mean? And if she maybe never took that chance, then that positive outcome of getting up to where she wanted to go and then coming back down might have never happened if I had stopped her from doing it. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, kids, kids can't yep. have the kind of fear that's going to help them blossom in life. Right. All right, cool. So, Matt, good talk. I have this theory <laughs> Ooh. that one of the reasons all of these immigrants are being led into the country is to replace us. <gasps> Per the Deagle depopulation report, which, of course, we said earlier in the show that they're kind of backpedaling on. But to me, it's very reminiscent of the last what I call population reset that we had, not only in other parts of the world, but let's just talk about United States, right? The whole phenomenon, which started right after the Civil War, like 1865, Ramped up even more, which is weird, just before the First World War and after the First World War. Because they needed more people to work the farms, to be little workers, to be little slaves. Now, all of a sudden, you got all these kids, like what we used to, when I was a kid, we used to call it the fresh air kids, would come out from the city and go out to the woods. They rounded up all these kids in New York City, Boston, you know, other cities on the East Coast threw them on trains, shipped them west to put them all to work. Better known as the orphan trains. Now, we know there's a lot of you know good and bad stories about this. But I know that on The Great Deception, you talk a lot about situations like this. And, and it's a very interesting subject. So, that's why I wanted you to come on and talk about it tonight. So, could you just kind of fill the listeners in a little bit about the orphan trains and how that whole system kind of worked? Yeah, it's it's a wild one. And I, I've done a show and then I, it comes up, like you said, a lot often. But what happened is it was in the 1850s is when it started. So it was pre-Civil War, okay. which is even more interesting because it's almost like they knew they were going to need even more to fill uh, uh, during when the Civil War happened. But it, it started around 1853, 1854 in that time frame. And it went all the way to 1929. And during that time, there's estimates anywhere from 250 
1,000 children and up were relocated within the United States on these orphan trains. Damn. Now, it, it started with a guy named uh, Charles Loring Brace, who is a Freemason. And he's actually from Litchfield, Connecticut, too, which I found interesting because that was real close to where I grew up. And uh, he started this thing called the Children's Aid Society because around 1850, supposedly there were about 30,000 orphans just in New York City alone. And New York City at the time only had a population of a little over a half million people. So we're talking almost 5% of the population was orphans at the time. So why? What caused it? Well, there's a bunch of factors, right? There was disease, obviously. There was poverty, extreme poverty, where you had families, women, husbands willing to give up their children because they literally could not afford to feed them anymore. Um, But what they did is they would take these kids, and, and not all of them were from America. A lot of them were from Europe as well. So... Um, what they did was they took these kids, they put them on trains. The kids didn't know where they were going. They didn't know where they'd end up. They didn't know who they'd end up with. And they were put on the train. And, and the interesting thing, this kind and this is how it kind of ties into a bunch of things. A lot of them were taken to world's fairs and at world's fairs, they were given passports So it's almost like they were given an identity, an identification number at these world's fairs. And what else happened at these world's fairs? They were heavily indoctrinated with it was basically like going to school nowadays, public school. They're going to indoctrinate you with what they want you to know. Now, where were the parents? Well, like I said, some had some disease, some gave them up. But what also rose at this time? asylums so you're seeing a lot of what you're seeing now in the sense that you're seeing the splitting of families the the breakup of the natural order of things and so when they would take these kids and they put them on trains and you would see in certain cities there'd be flyers all around town hey orphan trains coming in on sunday you know Come get come get your first pick or whatever, you know, and what they would do is they'd have these trains would roll into town sometimes before the train even reached its destination. uh, There would be someone on the train that would say, "Okay, tap a kid on the head. You're going to Texas. Next kid. Hey, you're going to uh, California. And these kids have no supervision. There's no you know, family services at the time that are tracking these children from where they came from to where they're going. And on these trains, it was about, and it was bizarre because it's, they started out shipping them out West on cattle cars. And then gradually over time it improved. And they, they finally, by the end of it in the 1920s, they were traveling on sleeping cars in trains. So it's a very strange tale. Um, now, where were these kids going? I mean, in, in this guy, uh, Brace's mindset, he, he was a blatant racist. He hated everyone that wasn't Protestant. So in his mind, going out to the farm, so to speak, was better than living 
in the existence that they were. He, he claimed that the orphanages that existed during that time were already overflowing. They were too packed. They couldn't accommodate all these kids. So his plan through the Children's Aid Society was to ship them out west. And what better way to repopulate? And if you think about it at this time, east of the Mississippi is basically really the only area that's populated. We have basically um, caravans of people that are migrating out west at the time and making land claims and, you know, being incentivized to go out west. And what better way to fill in workers than yeah. to give them children? Yeah, the major the major jumping off point was Independence, Missouri, right? For people to go west. Yep. So Independence, Missouri, of course, is is right there. You got the you got the Missouri River, you got the uh, Mississippi River, right? And there's a lot of weird stuff that happened in Kansas City back then. Yeah. You know, you have St. Louis right there also. I mean, it's just, it's so mind-blowing when you think about it in today's terms that they would do this. And these kids would get off a train and they'd line them up and pe- there would be people waiting there and say, okay, I'll take two. You know, I'll take that one and that one. And they, they would go with them? the family and there was no one that would ever follow up. Did, Once, they, you know, did they sell them or were they just like given away? A lot of them were given away. Some were sold. Okay. Did the family, the families that put them on these orphan trains, did they just give them up freely or did they? Correct. Get, oh, yeah. Wow, they, okay. they, they had no say. And what's even crazier, Buckley, in some instances, right? If, if the father wasn't around or he was away working and the mother got sick and had to go to the hospital or something, the kids would be taken away and put on a train and sent away and the mother would never hear from him again. Very similar to what child services will do now. If they go into a home and and if they deem the home to be unfit for children, they'll just take the kids. Right. And we know that there's a huge problem in the foster system. Like for sure. I mean, I had to deal with them for a year to get little G right. They're terrible. Which was crazy. But one thing I noticed uh, that I saw now, I watched a PBS documentary on it. Uh, of course, left this channel. But anyway, one thing, just getting back to your uh, your comment about how this Protestant dude that did this uh, this whole thing for the orphan trains, right, for the kids. They said that they didn't like Catholic kids, <laughs> number one. They didn't want any Negro kids. They wanted all just white kids. And how these kids knew that they were like christened or baptized or whatever in one particular religion in the time it took them to get from their starting point to their destination they had been converted yep to some form of protestant religion so that they would not be deemed catholic which was a minority and considered to be bad right exactly and the other thing that i found interesting is that uh, like you say at the World Fair, they were now these a lot of these kids were pretty much undocumented kids. I, I did see that a lot of them were undocumented, and they were saying that you know like the movie uh, Gangs of New York, the Five Points, they had actually gone into the Five Points part of New York and rounded up all the little ruffians that were getting into trouble to have any parents right out there fending for themselves, rounded them all up sent them out there and, and so it was so it was a good way for the city of new york we'll just you know use that as an example to clean the streets up of any undesirables right 
because if they're under a certain age, well, and they have no parents, then they can automatically become a ward of the state, right? Or ward of the city. Well, well, and you think back then too, Ron, remember they had uh, newsies, right? They were called. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. These little kids that would go around selling newspapers dressed, you know, all they had bare feet, most of them, but they had pants and they had a little, the little, uh, little hat on and they'd be pushing newspapers. Those were some of the kids that were rounded up. Right. And then what I saw, like when you said they went to the world's fairs, they, they, that's where they received their documents, right? Yep. This is where they, where they were issued the, not the real social security number because that didn't come until I think the forties, right? So uh, right after World War II or something like that. But they were issued some type of numerical uh, identification for them. And, uh, and I found it interesting that the term they're up for adoption came from when these little kids got to their destinations, they went up on a platform for, uh, on display. Very similar how, they, how the people would go in and buy slaves. Yeah, it's essentially slavery. They would go up, they would check the kids' teeth, they would see if they were healthy. Obviously, boys were in more demand than little girls were, but they needed girls to do domestic chores, right? Work around in the house, and I'm sure that some of these people that wanted these kids was, for lack of a better term, (laughs) looking for a new side piece, when these kids got a little older, and you can bet that a lot of that happened at the same time. But these kids were poked and prodded just like they just like they were chattel. But how do you how how did they uh how did they like pick what kind of families they would go to? Was there had to have been some sort of like I don't know. I don't standard? think they had because they couldn't just have them go back to like other kind of poor or not very wealthy families, right? Oh they no, had, no, they no. To, they no, to to they us. were going they were going Buckley either to wealthy families okay. that had land or they were going to what is it called when you you ride out west in the wet in the covered wagon. The uh the sett- settlers, I call them yeah, settlers. But. Yeah, those those folks were the other ones that were given it because they okay. were given plots of land out west to go farm homesteaders homesteaders yeah yeah, they needed hands Mm, so and in a lot of cases these kids were like you said ron treated like chattel Mm -hmm. you know they they weren't treated like the other kids in the family they didn't sleep in the main house they slept out in barns and things like that and they were treated like a second like a a you know, an animal would be, or or a, a piece of machinery. They were a tool for the farm, not necessarily a human being. They're and one of the slaves. other interesting things is the papers you talk about. Well, they could just make anything up they wanted. They could mm-hmm. give them a new birth date. They could change their name. Yeah, they could change their their history. So these kids had no idea essentially where they came from. Truly. You know, no sense of family history. And that's another great way to be able to rewrite things is if you have no idea where you came from or who you came from, now you're subject to whatever they tell you. I guess it was a lot of Irish kids, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, You might have already said this. I might have missed it. But who was like kind of orchestrating this like like the roundup? Was it like police, government? Was it like a a countrywide initiative that they were doing or do you know it was kind of a combination it was well it was led by the freemasons okay okay and what it was was you you, i mean they glamorized orphans 
in this early, you know, 1850s time frame. I mean, there's photos from newspapers of two, you know, two homeless kids cuddled in a corner together and they were, they called them street Arabs. And, Damn. you know, they, they took pictures of them like they were art and things like that. They didn't think really much of it. So they, what they would then do is then they started creating orphanages, which are interesting because they're lavish buildings that that these things occupy it's not like they're putting them in in these broken down buildings or wood shanties they're in these almost castle like facilities Mm. and when they deemed that these things were getting too full that's when they decided all right well what can we do with these these kids i mean new york alone in in about a 50-year span pushed out thirty-three thousand kids now the next highest is only like 7,000, 8,000 kids, next highest state. So we're talking about a lot of people coming over from Europe or being orphaned in New York and then being shipped out to the Midwest and the West to, to repopulate and uh, the, the country. Yeah, you know what I find, uh, like you you had said that it actually started before the Civil War. You know, when they knew that the Civil War was coming, right? I mean, they knew that the Union and, and the upcoming Confederacy was going to happen and that there was going to be a war. So it may have, been, it may have been a preemptive kind of situation to bring more kids in because what if the farm owner's sons got drafted? And we know, and we know that wealthy people actually could pay for somebody else to take their children's place for the war effort. Now we do know that that happens. Same thing they do now, and, or you know the elite do because you know the elite's kids they never go to war, right? So, and but you're talking, you know, I looked up the casualties for the American Civil War. Combined dead. Now this is not wounded casualties, died in prison, whatever. 620,000 people died on both sides combined in the American Civil War. So you're talking to bring that population back up. Now, the, now the population of the United States, I probably should have looked this up. I don't know what it was, you know, in the 1850s or 1860s, but obviously 620,000 people, all men, right? Like childbearing years, you know, where they're going to, you know, have kids. All are gone now. So, and if and if they were working on just a generational building of a family, what probably would have took another fifty years to get to the point where it needed to be. So these kids being being brought in, kind of supplemented all that. So they had kids for labor, they had people to work in the homes, they also had people to have children, right? Again, but. These are all older kids. And when we say older, it could be 6 to 12, right? 6 to 12, 14, something like that. We know that for real wealthy families, what do they want? They don't want a kid that's already damaged. They're going to want babies. They're going to want newborns. So let's talk a little bit about the newborns in what we call the incubator babies that they used to put on display at the world's fairs and at Atlantic city. So, uh, so what are your thoughts on that? Because these kids hit the jackpot as far as I'm concerned, 
Yeah. I mean, talk about a, a total dichotomy, right? You supposedly you have this abundance of orphan children, but yet at the same time, you have these incubators that are, that were created supposedly to save premature babies. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the, one and one doesn't make two right there. That doesn't seem to make any sense. If you have all these extra orphans, why would you not just let the babies take their natural course? Unless these babies could possibly have been artificial, not artificial, but you know, artificially inseminated babies where they, they could have had women as baby factories, you know, our good old friend. That was one of the rumors about Jeffrey Epstein, was that out in Zorro Ranch, he was trying to, you know, spread his seed and, and, and create this race of children through impregnating women. Yeah. And and that's that's another thing that's wild, because like you said, they they had them on exhibitions at the World's Fairs, literally rooms full of babies in incubators, some three to four to an incubator. So wouldn't you think that this is just an early version of human trafficking. Yeah. Because Oh, totally. Because these babies would bring a premium price. Mm. It just sounds like this. Rich couples that can't have a baby or maybe lost a baby, they would pay freaking whatever to get a replacement. And if they buy a baby, well this baby's going to grow up, it's not going to know where it came from, it's not going to know anything, right? I mean, I didn't know that I was adopted until I was like 15, right? So, so, but I'm saying, yeah, these kids hit the jackpot. They hit the fucking childhood lottery because you can bet your ass that all these incubator babies were paid for. So it may, cause they're not just going to hand them, hand you a kid, you know, not a baby. You know, they got all these younger kids, you know, six, seven, 10, 14, that, they just want to get rid of them. If I can get out of here, go to work somewhere. Yep. This is before child labor laws. This is when kids in Kentucky were 10 years old working in the coal mines, right? We know this should happen. Mines, Co- factories, you name it. Coincided with the Industrial Revolution. Before there was labor laws, before there was unions, before there was anything in place to protect the welfare of these kids. Before the real foster system, right? So you know that these babies were bringing a premium price, and that is exactly the same thing that's going on now when they kidnap these young women, 14, 15, they can have kids. It's You know what it's like, Matt? It's like the puppy mills. Like yep. they get this one dog, say it's a pug or a poodle, whatever. You know, whatever, Frenchie, whatever dog is in demand this year. And they just keep fucking breeding them and breeding them and breeding them because what do they look at it? Every puppy is worth fucking a grand, 1500 whatever. And becomes a cash cow for a lazy fox that don't want to go out and work. They can just raise dogs. Now, listen, I'm not getting down on all breeders. I'm talking about puppy mill type breeders. There's a lot of reputable breeders out there, for sure. But these are not reputable places, right? It's no different with humans. Like, we know this is happening. And not only that, probably just like these incubator babies, they're undocumented. Nobody even knows who they came from. They don't have social security numbers. They got no birth certificate. They got nothing. Yeah. Nope. And and he would, there was a guy named Dr. James Cooney who, uh, and he ironically at Coney Island was where he set up his shop. He would travel around the United States with these incubator babies. 
and sell them off to people. He it even got to the point in the later nineteen you know nineteen teens twenties where they were uh, then producing the incubators to sell for home use. So it so sounds people- like it sounds like the this was this human trafficking that was going on. It was like was it very public? Did like a lot of people that weren't wealthy know it was going on? It was right in front oh, of everybody's yeah. face. So it was just going on. So it's essentially it's like. It seems like it morphed to be what we know now, as Ron said, the human trafficking. But but it's just nowadays it's more under the radar, I guess. So it's not happening in public. Yeah. I mean, like I said, Buckley, they had signs that the or- these orphan trains were coming into town. So and, it- and they were well aware of what was going on. And same thing with the incubator babies. I mean, they pushed it at multiple world fairs, started in Chicago in 1893. And then every World Fair from then on, I mean, and it happened over in Europe, too, uh, where they would fashion these incubator babies. What do you think this what do you what do you think the switch was? Why do you think it like suddenly was went from being publicized to what we have now or super shady and underground? Do you think it's just like people started to kind of realize how fucked up it was or like have a problem with it or what do you think well you started you started having um regulatory commissions put in right you had department of child welfare services you had child labor laws so they couldn't do it as publicly anymore because it was technically illegal mm. but you as we all know there's still child labor going on even right. though it's illegal but like you said it, it's under the radar now they can't be as public with it but do you think those things were put in place like the child protective services were put in place to just better mask uh like certain Ooh. human trafficking or, or slave stuff like that because i know a lots of times like you hear these stories where you know contemporarily you hear these stories of like uh, the child services or police going in and removing a kid from the home. And then the parents never see that kid again. Uh, they go and they ask, well, where's my child? What happened to the child? We don't know. And we um, don't have to tell you. And we don't have to tell you, but it's now it's under the guise of like the government. I mean, obviously yeah, it's all, it's all theater Buckley. Yeah. Right. They're acting like they're looking out for your best interest. They're looking out for the best interest of society. But while they're talking out one side of their mouth, out the other side of the mouth, they're pulling in these babies, right? They're they're taking yeah. them into their own family. Mm. You know, these same guys that were anti-slavery had a farm full of slaves. Mm. So, I mean, it's it's this whole theater of politics that that combines with like we're talking about human trafficking, um, ex- human exploitation. Because when it comes down to it, Ron mentioned it before, this is at the rise of the Industrial Revolution. This is the whole bringing in, ushering in of the new era, and they need labor. They need cheap labor so they can maximize their profit. That's all they care about then. It's all they care about now. And don't you think, and this is the correlation I wanted to make, Matt. You just said, like I had brought up, this was all around the Industrial Revolution. What is Klaus Schwab? He wrote another book. It's called The Rise of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. The Great Reset. This is just another 100-year cycle, right? We talk about 100-year cycles. This is actually over 100 years, right? But I'm just saying they bring this from being in the forefront, in your face, 
Everybody gets normalized to it. It's all cool. Oh, incubator baby. Okay, here's $10,000 or 5000 or whatever for this incubator baby. Thank you very much. And then they, they come up with these laws that, that stop that. So now the powers that be know there's way too much money to be made here. So we will let you have your laws and we'll just go into shadows, right? We'll just go into shadows. And this is the Jeffrey Epstein's. And he's like the one that's in the news. Like he's probably nothing compared to what's still out there. There's still plenty of fuck islands around. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on, right? So, but we have the fourth industrial revolution coming up. We got this so-called Great Reset coming up. And we see a million illegal aliens coming to the country because who was it? What was it? Truck Schumer that actually came out and said, well, we need we need people to we need people to do the work. We need our population is dropping in the United States. We need people to. Take up the slack and do these jobs. Okay, go on any cruise ship, go to any hotel, like big hotel out west, anywhere, Boston, doesn't matter where. How many white people do you see working there? <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, well, they are bringing... work for minimum wage, right? Because what? their minimum, our minimum wage here is a fortune, uh, and I can speak to this firsthand because... I had a lot of friends back in Connecticut that ran landscaping businesses and they had part-time visas for their guys because they would work six months up here and they could live the other six months living a really well-off life in their home country. Buckley works with an individual that fits that mold. His name is Bingy and he's been on the show and we talked about it. (laughs) So we know that for a fact. If you want a good landscaper, you're going to hire a bunch of Mexicans, Colombians, Venezuelans or whatever. Jamaicans. Jamaicans, right. Well, <laughs> apple picking here. Well, yeah. And, and working work the farms. The farms yeah, stuff, they work yeah. on the big farms. Yeah, I mean, I live in a farm town out here in Western Mass, and that's all you see in the fields. Yeah. But, I mean, and th- this stuff, too, The it's like another way like to help the Great Reset. Do you know what I mean? Because in a way, it's sort of like... And I'm not speaking ill or poorly on like the immigrants that are doing these, these work programs and stuff, but in, in, in a lot of ways, it kind of like oppresses our economy even more because you have foreigners coming in and working and then sending money out to other their country um, and then taking away money from our country as well as jobs for people that are United States citizens. Yeah, but, so, but they won't work, Buckley. Well, American, and, and, citizens, oh, American citizens will not work. You they won't fucking do landscaping. I mean, you know except, what a, you know what a big thing is that a lot, a lot of people overlook with this immigration thing is that if they give the if they legalize these folks, right, and they get a social security number and they're American citizens, that is going to blow up the social security system. Right. Which then has a domino effect on us because now we have to work longer to be able to retire. And what are they always talking about? Pushing up the retirement age. Yeah, because they want us to have to work as long as possible. Mm. Right, because as soon as we retire we start dipping into that social security fund bingo and they don't want that yeah. exactly yeah. it's it's a missing piece that nobody seems to want to address is it's that a scam cycle. Is, hey, hey matt retirement age goes up life expectancy goes down exactly so that leaves you a very small window to fucking get some of that money back that you paid in all these years or have any fun or have any fun hey, yes i, I mean yeah. I've, I've always thought that whole the, well obviously the whole work cycle retirement it's just like a scam like everything else total scam like yeah. everything else in this entire system because you just you work 
you go to sleep, you work, you pay bills essentially so you can live in a house, but you're working most of the time. So you don't really have time to live in it. And then you pay money on college so you can get a job to work to pay for all this shit, as well as a car that you pay for to get to work and back from home. And then by the time you retire, you got to have a yard to park it in. Yeah. And then you have to have a yard. So you have to buy a house and it's all just feeding the system. And it's basically like, once you retire, it's like, do you even have anything to retire with? Or are you even going to have like life to live, to enjoy retirement? So it's just like one giant fucking scam. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they would publicize these orphan trains. Like, there were big pictures of kids, you know, on these trains. And I'll give you an example here. Here's a here's a clip from a newspaper um, back in the 1887. It says, uh, the Children's Orphan Aid Society, that's the guy Charles Loring Brace that I talked about, of the city of New York, will f- the first week in January send a company of homeless orphan children west in charge of August Schleit. They will arrive at Holton Friday, January 7th at 2 p.m. Mr. Schleit and Mr. McCauley will be pleased to meet at the Reading Room in the city of Holton at 3 o'clock p.m. on that day. All who are willing to give one or more of these unfortunates a home. The children will be distributed as before so by the order like, of the committee. It sounds like they're they, uh, as we know, the elites always do, or whoever runs the shenanigans going on in this world. It sounds like they use media once again to kind of make it sound pull on heartstrings, pull on heartstrings, like they're helping homeless little people, kids. Like it's a positive thing, you know. These kids are going to be put into good environments and blah blah blah. And in actuality, they're just fucking. Treated as scum of the earth slaves. Yeah. No better than and, a, and, a, well, yeah. Well, I, and I, I what think... better way, Ron, to erase, be able to reset history, right? And and indoctrinate these kids with the history that you want of whether it's this country, whether it's the world, whether it's race politics, whatever you want. If they don't have any family, they can't oh, go yeah. look up their family tree. I've talked to so many people after I did the orphan train episode that went back and they started looking at their family history. And around the 1850s, they couldn't find anything past then. Yep. Right. Well, the, I, they came over on these history, trains. Their history was fabricated. Well, the isolation thing from families, that's like a – well, isolation in, in general, uh, it's like a very culty thing as well. Like it's very satanic – that's why you see it come across in like the whole COVID shit. Like I trying to isolate people from their families, like canceling Christmas, essentially like can't having, go see grandma. Go She's see on her grandma, deathbed. Stay away yep. from your friends and family. That isolation is a component of satanic rituals. Cause lots of times when they're like indoctrinating people into cults and stuff like that and into rituals, one of the big things they do to individuals is isolate them from their families so they can brainwash them or mind control them or just get them to start believing in their ways and convert to their cult yep. or to the ritual. Yeah, but what the the whole thing that got me was once I started once I started looking into that and then I started making parallels to what's going on here because remember how we always ask why are they letting so many immigrants into this country? Human trafficking at the border too. And, 100%. Huge fucking thing there. Where's all these kids that went missing? What was there? There's 80, orphanages there. 80,000 yes. kids? There's schools and orphanages set up at the border where they, when they detain families and stuff, they send them to these schools and orphanages to live, and then the kids go fucking missing. There's like yep. thousands and thousands of kids at the border. 80,000, wasn't it? Yeah, that 
the the guy who's in charge of, of I forget his name of like the whole border situation. My Orcus. He was like re, he was he was just questioned about all this stuff. He has no idea why there's these kids missing and why they're unaccounted for. And you damn well know that it's like Obama or the Clintons because the Clintons like did all that shit in Haiti. Traffic, human tra- trafficking in Haiti that we all know about. It's like, you know, it's like one of those scumbags setting up these orphanages to then human traffic shit. Yep. 100%. And, and if you look at it, what do we get in the news every now and then? You get one of those tearjerker stories of these two or three abandoned kids at the border. They had no parents. You know, the, the border guards pushed them in and got them into a facility. Like, it's it's all bullshit. It's all propaganda when it boils down to it. Well, yeah. the the point was is I was trying oh, to. I, well, no, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I no, you no, you made a good point. What I was thinking is okay. So, why is this happening? I always try to dot connect. I always try to figure out why a certain thing is happening, mm. and then it just popped in my head. Oh my god, it's the orphan trains mm. yeah. reset. But Ronald said it's more. Later. He, he, you said it's more than a hundred years. It's not. It, they didn't end till 1929. So you're spot on with okay. the hundred year cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you look at the patterns throughout history, that's, what we're starting to see, we're starting to see these hundred year cycles that come up. And, and another big thing that happened in this time frame, there were a lot of great fires in these cities. Well, when these great fires happened, it just so happened that the places where they kept all the records for birth, for patents, for land ownership, all those records burned. So guess who gets to reset and reclaim all this stuff? It's the rich. Yeah. So we, it's the same thing we're seeing now. I mean, you see these, you know, like Katrina, what happened in New Orleans. Anyone that's going to tell me that was a natural disaster? Get out of here. You're, yeah. you're, you're out of your mind. Look what's going on in California with the quote unquote wildfires, mm. right? They're, they're doing the same thing now in a different manner, but yeah. it's part of that hundred year pattern. And it, it's the same thing just in modern times. Yep. Right. And it's just played off as, oh no, this happens every year. This is no big deal. I mean, we know California has wildfires, but then they're busting people for out there lighting these fires, right? right. It's just like the big fires, they go up, uh, Tayana. Uh, our, our friend from up in Alberta that works in the oil fields, you know, she was she was talking recently about the big fires that were purposely set up in Alberta, yeah, to try to sway the vote. Yep, the vote on some big vote that just happened. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but the but the party that they want, the party that's anti Trudeau, anti communist, anti social woke fucking agenda, they won. In Alberta, Alberta, Saskatchewan. I think Yukon, Northwest Territories, they are more red, just like Americans are. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, she said that. Yeah. Said yeah, that. and I actually was doing some more reading about it, and it was that one TikTok video where that guy said, listen, let's just secede and become America, because we're more red than a lot of Americans, and the guy had a fucking point. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah it's, Tiana was saying that, uh, you know... Where she's from, the Albertans, I don't know if that's the right word, but they, like, look to America, as well as a lot of, other, like, other Canadians, uh, provinces or whatever. They kind of look to America to see, like, how we're doing or how we're reacting to things or as, like, a leadership role, I guess, which I guess is interesting. Because I, I never really I never really thought that. Because um, I think a lots of times 
and I don't know if this is a narrative that's being fed to us, but I think lots of times it's like there's this idea idea that you know Americans are fucking stupid, and other countries like look down on America because of like all the bullshit that's always going on. But then like, well, someone like Tiana comes on and she says, "Well, actually, we kind of like look to you guys as like an influence or like a leader um, to kind of like how we should proceed." Do you know what I mean? So that I that I thought that was eye opening for sure yeah, for sure because like when you yeah hear it's about, the like, countries people... that we haven't destroyed yet Buckley I mean right. you you go over to like Iraq they don't give a shit about what we do Afghanistan oh, they no. can care less but like you look at our allies so to speak Great Britain uh, Canada things like that they they do they look at to what we're doing because we're quote unquote the superpower right and I, that's slowly dwindling i feel like like in the iraq though it's like they have to have some uh, understanding that like it's not like most americans didn't want that shit at all well i think they probably know that they have to have some sort of understanding of that because it's like americans are like no like we we don't want to fucking go to war obviously there's an exception to everything but like most of them are like no it's fucked up you're carpet bombing people children kids for what well, this is why they pulled 9-11. 9/11. They pulled the 9-11 to get people patriotic, then bring in the Patriot Act, because that's also patriotic, which was just another tool right. to take away more of our freedoms. And everybody was pissed off and wanted to go kick somebody's ass. We didn't know who. No, so they, they, knew, just, they so, knew in minutes. So, it, but, they knew well, in minutes. You, know, you yeah. know what's even crazier about the Patriot Act, Ron, is that the Patriot Act actually started after the Oklahoma City bombing. Right. And who started it? None other than Joe Biden. Yep. Fucking Joe Biden. 100%. Joe fucking Byron. Joe Biden. Joe Biden was a big contributor to the Patriot Act and the crime bill, right? Which his family is guilty of all these crimes that supposed to be covered in the crime bill. Well, yeah, because he was pushing. If you get caught with one little piece of crack like a quarter, we're going to, come on, man, we're going to throw you in jail for 25 years. Yeah, yeah, because he was pushing the Domestic Terrorist Act back in, in what was it, 91 or 92 when Oklahoma City happened. All right, so so let's talk about documents getting exploded. And then we're going to move on to a conspiracy. (laughs) The Oklahoma City Murrah Building was where they housed all the documents that implicated Bill and Hillary Clinton in the Whitewater scandal. And we'll leave it at that. (gasps) Yeah, because we got... That building... Which supposedly got taken out by ammonium nitrate and diesel fuel in a rider truck. Which, oddly enough, a lot of the explosions were inside the building and blew the building out, not the other way around. Now all those pa- all that paperwork is gone, and next thing you know, Bill Clinton's president. Yay! Woo! And that's like similar and, with nine eleven, right? Because and, and all the FBI agents were not in the building that day. Oh, yeah. Yet the daycare was full. They yeah, had a picnic. They still said, "Well, another <laughs> ch- child sacrifice." Thing, right? uh, they love sacrificing children, but same with nine eleven. Like they announced, fucking two trillion dollars had gone missing or something like that. Well, that's why they blew then, up Tower Six. Yeah, and then that building, alongside with the the twin towers, with all these documents, uh, like indicating certain things about the money, just Building Seven, up. the Solomon Building. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Very cool on the uh, orphan trains, Matt. I think everybody should look into that. It's super interesting. Make parallels to what happened back then to what's happening now. We're at we're coming up on the, the other hundred year reset being orchestrated by the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and our own CDC and the Democrats that are in power. Mm. Oh, listen, a lot of Republican pieces of shit too. So 
We call it the uni party now for a reason. It's all one party. Two two fucking wings of the same bird. Yeah. So, Matt, check this out. Buckley had this really cool conspiracy, which I had never heard of. We've uh, talked about it on the show before, Ron. Not really. The Alzheimer's is getting to you. Not really. We got to call that number, but, Ron. But hit me, hit me with it, Ron. I'll, I've listened to every episode. I'll tell you if you talked about right, it. Buckley, give it to him. All right. So we all know Alex Jones uh, from InfoWars or Colonial Silver. Alex Jones from Austin, Texas. Get us some quail eggs and all this and that. He had this guy on. Uh, his name was Robert David Steele, apparently. And um, Robert David Steele, he's. Essentially a clandestine spy who's now not a spy anymore. He worked for U.S. Marine Corps. He worked for, like, counterintelligence type, you know, covert ops probably. Who knows what else? If you're clandestine, usually means, like, uh, you need a high level of briefing to really know what's going on. They're usually very, very secret operations. To the be- That's what I know, to the best of my knowledge. My knowledge. But he, ca- he came on to... Uh, Infowars, and he, you know, started talking about human trafficking because he is also part of now the, I believe it's the INJC, which stands for, I think, International Justice Committee. Yeah. And so he talks about a lot of the stuff that we are talking about now, like the human trafficking that's going on and how he did, ran a lot of ops on the human trafficking. And I think there's a... A big debate on whether this guy is, like with many people, whether he is authentic in what he's doing, whether he's controlled opposition, whether he actually is a pedophile, and maybe he's just trying to, like, kind of, you know, mislead with the information that we're going to be talking about in a minute. But he talks a lot about, like, the the adrenochrome, the satanic side of things in, like, a professional setting, not, like, on a you know, YouTube channel or a fucking a podcast or whatever, like in a very professional setting with leaders uh, in all different types of fields. Anyway, so he talks about like the adrenochrome, the satanic torture, the bone marrow, which I guess I I didn't really know that was something that was harvested a lot. I guess it's kind of like a big part of the anti-aging. Yeah, um, the blood, yep. blood plasma too. Yeah, yep. the anti-aging... I guess harvesting that they do from kids is the bone marrow. Um, we all know about adrenochrome and how that works. Um, but essentially he went on Alex Jones and he's gone on other places and he was talking about these secret space programs. And he essentially said, well, you know, they're human trafficking all over the world and as well as Mars. So essentially they're take, it kind of reminds me of the orphan train, just maybe not as many kids. I'm, I'm assuming but put on rocket ships or however the fuck they want to do it. And they're apparently sent out into space for 20 years. And then they arrive to Mars when they're adults. And essentially there's a colony on Mars as well as a slave colony of children or well, I guess that they're adults um, that work on Mars and essentially you know, there's a lot of speculation as to, well, it doesn't because they supposedly, if you believe space is real and it's not fake or gay, or if you don't believe in the firmament, that it should only take about eight or nine months to get to Mars from Earth. 
right? So why, first of all, why are they doing it for 20 years? I think, I think they bring them there. They got to do a 20 year bid there. Okay. 20 year bid. Maybe that's. And Buckley crazy enough. They've, they, this ties in with, I don't remember if it's alien covenant, but one of the alien movies, this is the exact premise. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hey, we know that a lot of predictive programming also is used for like the opposite effect. You know, like it's like, well, we're going to we're going to have a movie about this because it's so crazy and we're going to like make it seem like it's fiction, essentially, or fan, something yep. of fantasy. So, yeah, but essentially that's where a lot of these kids are being sent. And, um, you know, obviously NASA came right out and because people reporters were like, OK, this is very far fetched. Let's contact NASA. They immediately shut it down. Other. Well, I mean, come on. It's crazy, right? I think it's a hundred percent true, but Hey Buckley, <laughs> let's, let's not. And here's another little thing, way to think about it. If, if you don't believe in space, right. Yeah. Outer space, so yeah. to speak, I've seen maps where Mars is actually on the other side of the ice wall. Right. Right. So that's a, yeah, really, So that, you know, I've seen, I, I, that's essentially what I was thinking too, because if it wasn't, if there was a firmament, if there, then obviously you can't get to Mars. And, you know, obviously people will think whatever the hell they want, but that would be another thing. Like, or Ron likes to talk, you'd like to use the, the, uh, fuck. Crater Earth. Crater Earth, where it's essentially kind of like a golf ball, right? And there's a bunch of kind of little rings with walls and like other continents or pieces of land. Like, who's to say that they're not being shipped out? like somewhere out out there at least. And Buckley, you could still call that outer space right. because it's outside of our space, right. right? Our known space, so to speak. It's extraterrestrial. So yes. the Mars slave children would work flat earth on both. Right. Globe, globers like me, silly glober, and it would work on flat earth. Right. Yes. It would work on both. Yeah, because we heard all the theories, you know, going back to Admiral Byrd, right, Matt? That these saucers, UFOs, you know, ex, you know, it wouldn't be extraterrestrials, right? They would be just terrestrial. Right. Are are coming from another location wherever the fuck we are. <laughs> but it's outside of the realm that we're allowed to go to. Right. Right? <laughs> think think Iron Republic, the story of the Iron Republic, right? So yeah, so it's interesting that this is the only, well, probably not the only, but one major conspiracy theory that works on a globe Earth and a flat Earth that works on both. Yeah, and I'm trying to think, like, I don't know, because, I mean, it could also work with hollow Earth. Like, they could be going underground, too. Yep. We don't know. And the reason maybe he's, maybe there's some nefarious intentions with this guy saying they're being sent to Mars is to kind of, like, and somehow draw your mind back to space. Do you know what I mean? To divert if, you from thinking of the firmament and the flat earth. Or hollow earth or whatever. Okay. Because, yeah. it's, because it's like, essentially, it's like, well, you know, don't look over the ice wall or Antarctica. Or look to space. You know, space is real. Remember space. Everyone remembers space. So I don't know. Um, this also does tie into, like, the, obviously, the alien thing, as Matt was saying before. And, you know, the world leaders essentially being reptilians. <laughs> and they're kind of, like, the ones that are, that's the reason why they're being sent to space. But, I don't know, what do you guys think about this? What possible conspiracies, along with human trafficking, do you think this, like, how do you think this works? What do you guys think? Well, I think it's a way to colonize other areas. I'll just call them areas. 
we won't say other planets because this might not be off planet. Uh, this might be just somewheres that we have we don't have access to, which forces kids into a situation because they need workers. Mm. Because maybe not that many people would volunteer for that kind of service, which brings me to the other fucking fraud. Remember this Corey Good character? Yep. That that was going and uh, he was doing the uh, the twenty year and back program, secret space program, military duty on Mars for twenty years, and you were gone for twenty years, but in actuality, you were gone for a very short period of time. It just through whatever time portal or whatever, it was 20 years in our time, right? Who was together with our buddy, David fucking Wilcock, we called David Halfcock. Old David Halfcock. Who has made a fucking fortune <laughs> pushing all these bullshit stories. Corey Good was really big on Gaia TV. He actually came out and basically admitted it was all a bunch of bullshit. However... This ties in with the Lou Elizondo thing and all these other people, the whole disclosure thing. Now, let's look at it this way. Was Corey Good telling a real story but got told to say that he's a fucking fraud? Like, admit that you're a fraud because we don't want people knowing this now because this is part of the Secret Space Program. This, this is Space Force. And, yeah. Ron, who you else can't is be pushing talking Mars about this. right now? Blacks. E- well, Elon Musk. Elon. There you go. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think it's like... It's so far fetched. It's like one of those things that's so far fetched that you're like, it could be real. It could be real. Well, and, and, and think a- about that. That Elon's launch to Mars in that car. Every, I mean, it was so fake. Everybody knew it was fake, right? right. It's like they're making fun of it almost in a sense that, like, hey, we we know we can't really go there, but. We're going to distract you with this whole Mars talk when in reality, there's a lot more going on there. I can totally see that as plausible. Yeah. And that's why I think, and that's why I think it's kind of like, maybe that's a reason why they're like, oh, we're like still trying to get to Mars, but we haven't been able to really put people there yet because they don't want people to really know there's anyone there. Do you know what I mean? Well, if you think about it, there is one theory, not a conspiracy theory, but a theory that Mars was very Earth-like at one time. Yes. It is kind of still in the sweet spot. There was some type of cataclysm, could have even been nuclear war, and this leads up to why do extraterrestrials don't like us having atomic power or nuclear weapons? And then, of course, you got the people say nuclear weapons don't exist, okay? So this kind of all plays together as well. Now, the theory is, is that and I actually was on with Mark last week, and we talked about this, and this is something that I was doing a lot of reading about, right? If you look at indigenous creatures on the planet, like, they're built to be on Earth. Fucking humans are not. Humans are not built to be on Earth, right? We've adapted through some sort of genetic engineering to be able to survive on Earth, okay? So this is my theory. Now... There's a lot of talk that when Earth, when, excuse me, when Mars was Earth-like and the cataclysm came, enough people escaped it before it lost its atmosphere, before it lost all its water, before it lost everything and became basically what we call now the red planet. It's just all fucking desert as far as we know. Now they have said through Rover, if you even believe that story, (laughs) <laughs> that they have discovered frozen water on Mars. Okay, so 
There was water there at one time. But the theory is, is that we left Mars and we seeded Earth because we were the closest planet that was in the sweet spot, actually probably better than Mars, and we, we, we evolved to be able to survive on this planet. So, if we left Mars at one time, well, why the fuck can't we go back? Right, and I do think it would. It's a uh, definitely for because there's so many missing kids that go missing. It's like, well, where the fuck are they all? It's like, well, I'm not saying they are all at Mars, but it would be a really good place to put kids and have them never be found again. Where the fuck does eight hundred thousand people a year go that go missing from just the United States? Right, they either have to be somewhere else, or no one completely knows of. Well, under the ground think, or on a different fucking planet. You got to also think not only, you know, human trafficking, but you have to think about organ trafficking. You right, have to yeah. think about blood trafficking. Yep. You know, they're not necessarily do they want the vessel. They may just want the contents and then mm-hmm. dispose of the vessel. Right. So, and where, maybe they're doing that shit on fucking Mars. And this <laughs> is why they use the little kids to get off on. They fuck the little kids. Whoa. And then they and then they scare them so much that they're able to extract the adrenochrome and then once they've extracted all the adrenochrome, then they fucking kill the kids and they sell the organs. Yeah. Yep. Fucking hey, sick. guys, I hate to do it. I got I to gotta jump. I got to go get the little guy ready. All right. But uh, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yeah. yeah, Matt, listen, thank you very much for coming on. I told you I wasn't going to take up much time, but you know how that works on the Wicked Planet. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, Matt T., great deception. Thanks for coming on the show. Tell the listeners where they can find you like they don't already know. Yeah, you can find me on any uh, podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, all those. Uh, Instagram, The Great Deception Podcast. And then uh, also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash The Great Deception Podcast. So feel and, free to hit me up on DMs on Instagram. That's kind of where my home base is. And the Monday Night Master Debaters. Ooh. That's every Monday night. You can get it nice. on uh, Monday night. It's out. Which is nice. a banger. Hey, listen, I really like the episode you had all the girls on. Ooh, Ron. Ladies night. We're going to yeah. make that a, a quarterly thing, man. Yeah, People love, love all, it. Love all those girls. Janet just did one too with Rosie and Elle. So, uh, Matt, yeah, I, no, I think awesome. you need to do a trans night next. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Trans Tuesdays. Hey, we could put wigs on, Buckley, and join in. <laughs> all right, Matt. It was yeah, good why to, not? It was good to see you. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for coming Thank on. Thank you, and, guys. And, uh, I appreciate it. Have a great night. Yeah, yeah, you too. Talk to you real soon, buddy. That was Matt from the Great Deception Podcast. Find him on all major platforms. I don't know Recording. his Instagram. I always love talking to Matt. No, he's he's a really positive yep. guy, which yep. is um, and just really nice. You know, the world needs more of that and less, of, thumbs and up. less people like me. Thumbs up, Matt. Yeah, good job, Matt. Uh, right. So interesting topics, orphans, orphan trains from the 1800s and... Slave Children on Mars, which I know we've talked about before, Ron. I don't and remember. listeners really out don't. there, if you know what episode it's on, DM Ron and annoy him and be like, it's on this episode. Buckley was right. Per usual. Last thing I want to talk about is my fucking hike I went on. Oh, my God. Yeah. Osceola. Double peaks. 4K. Each peak. It was kind of brutal. I'm not going to lie. I think I got sun poisoning on the hike. It was one of those hikes that you think is never going to end. And it's almost driving you crazy. And that's when the the crazy kind of madness feeling. Have you ever had that? Where you was, feel like you might be losing your mind. And it was really <laughs> warm. It was a be- absolutely beautiful Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. 
And it was like kind of one of those, I was my mindsets. Cause you're out, you're out there in the woods, right? And I've said this before. Nature doesn't give a fuck about your feelings, how you're doing. And when you're out there by yourself, basically I want some people, but I hike a little faster than them. So sometimes I'm on my own, but you get face to face with your, your, your own mental thoughts. And there's literally nothing to distract you. So you have to deal with them and you have to face them face on. It was a great hike. We hiked up to one peak and then I didn't want to hike to the second peak, but the ladies I was with did because I knew exactly what I was getting myself into. I've done two peak hikes before. It's like you have to hike down really steep into the kind of valley between the peaks and then hike back up and then it's not a loop. So then you have to go back down and then up as Buckley would say, big woof, big woof, big, big woof. And so it turns about probably, uh, let's see, it took us under three hours to get the first peak. So it probably turns like a four hour hike, four or five hour hike into like a eight hour hike. So you got out of there before Sasquatch comes out. I'll get there. Hold on. Okay, hold on. <laughs> so one of the big things about this hike was it had a chimney, which I don't know if you know what that is. I I, I don't think I had ever done a chimney before. Um, in hiker lingo, that essentially means like a fucking cliff that goes like straight up, basically. Um, and it's really tall. And um, it's not like a scramble. But because it's more cliff like scrambles are more like kind of just rocky, steep stuff, but more like kind of steps or I guess flowing trail versus like a, sh- a cliff that goes straight up. So that was kind of intense, kind of got your blood going because you're if you fall, you're fucked. You're literally climbing up something that's like kind of straight up. There are little ledges that you could step on and hold on and kind of like stand there. But like if you fall, slip. You're gonna get you're gonna get hurt. But all in all, besides the madness setting in at the end of the hike, it was very good. And to oh, some somebody commented on my Instagram about Sasquatch. I forget who it was. God damn it! But anyway, I talked. The first thing I did was talk to the park ranger because he was there doing something, or he might have been a volunteer. I don't know. And I asked him about Big Bigfoot, and he said no activity. No activity recently. He just said no activity. He said he saw some fisher cats, I think, and that's about it. So, but yeah. anyway, all in all, it was a good hike. Good job, Buckley. I saw the pictures. I was very impressed. Check you know what out. I found what is interesting is that it's called Osceola. Why? And Osceola was the Seminole chief down in Florida. Seminole Indian chief. Oh, I His name was that. Osceola. Nice. I just thought it was odd. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. cool. Yeah, good job. So yeah, so it was a good Memorial Day weekend. We had good weather. I uh, got a bunch of my outdoor projects done. Thanks to help from my buddy and listener Eric. You know who you are. Did an awesome job on my patio. Nice. Oh, is he the guy that came with the lasers? Yeah. Fucking hooked me up. Good job. Yeah, awesome. I had it in my mind. I wanted to get it done for Memorial Day weekend, and Eric made that happen. So Eric, Eric. thank you very much for helping with Phase One. I didn't have a chance to text you today, but I almost did. Eric, you sexy animal. I'm thinking about phase two, kid. So let's get together soon. Are you going to do like levels? Possibly. Like a tree house? I'm going to consult Eric because he knows more about it than I do. Anyways, great job. Tunnel. Great job. Maybe I'll post some pictures. Hobbit house. 
All right, listen. All right, let's get out of here. Good convo. Really enjoyed having Boom. Matt on the show. Always love talking to Matt. Uh, and uh, hope you enjoyed it as well. We're going to get out of here. So, in the meantime, come follow me on Instagram at Ron from New England and the Wicked Planet Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Ron from NE. Follow Mr. Buckley at Tristan.A.Buckley. Follow me on Twitter at Big Dicks Always Stick 6969XXX. And go follow Kristen, even though she was not able to make it into the show tonight. Boo. Which is really, really too bad because Eric gave me a fish skull <gasps> as a gift to give to Miss Kristen. Because we all know. You have another suitor, Kristen. How Miss Kristen likes, likes skulls. I have never seen a fish skull before. Remember we had this conversation before about sharks? Mm. So, no, Eric has a very nice lady, so we won't be having any of that. Oh, okay, so follow Kristen. Follow Kristen on Instagram <laughs> at iridescence919. And go check out her Deer and Crow store. She's got some really cool shit. The candles so, are okay. She oh, gave me one. I, I lit it. And it burned, you know, it burned. I thought it wasn't going to burn. So it, Did it smell good? It surpassed my expect, expectations. It actually did really smell good. I bet it really yeah. did. Okay, cool. So if you got anything, uh, again, sorry to everybody. I've been getting a lot of DMs. I've been getting a lot of emails. I have I was so fucking focused on getting my outside project done before Memorial Day because I had some friends over. They said, fuck everything else. Well, basically. Fuck all our listeners. Sometimes I have to focus. And our fans, they don't mean anything to us. Not true. Ron, you make me but sick. I was focused. You make me I sick. I was laser focused when Eric's laser. Did you drink? Poor trackers? Uh, uh, yes. Nice. Yes, I did. Uh, not a lot, though. Uh, just enough to, you know, maintain coolness. But anyway, so you know where to email us at the Wicked Planet Podcast at gmail.com. Join the Telegram chat at the Wicked Planet Podcast chat. Woof. You guys already know this shit already. Go out there and go out there and fucking help us out. Go out there and be free in the world. Go on Apple. Please give us a five star review. I see somebody did. A couple people did. Thank you very much. And in the meantime, we're going to get out of here. Ron from New England, signing off. Buckley. <laughs> Out! <laughs>